and a headrest. Or, since you can't loaf or read or nap all the time, I would keep an eye on the town. If the weather was bad, I would stand at the window and look. If it was good, I would carry a chair out and sit under the sugar tree at the edge of the road. I always tried to keep faith with my customers. To keep faith, that is, with the random possibility that at almost any moment one or another of them might take a notion to come in for a haircut or a shave or would need a place to sit. And to tell the truth, I generally had need of the coins that wandered about in Port William Pant's pockets and yearned to add them to my collection in the cigar box on the back bar. I kept faith, but I confess that I kept it somewhat irregularly. Sometimes, when my clients were absent, I would be moved to stray about. My predecessor had left me a little cardboard sign with a clock face and drooping metal hands that declared invariably, back at 6.30. When I left, it would always be a good while before 6.30, and so I had plenty of time. If I got back before the promised minute, I counted it much to my credit. I might walk up to see who would be loafing along the street or in the stores. From there I might stroll out the road and into the woods on the bluffs above the river. Or I might just cross the road to Mr. Milo Settle's garage, a place of often interesting work and sometimes ferocious political debates instigated by Mr. Settle's chief assistant, Portly Jones, who had opinions he was willing to die for. If I wanted no company, I walked in the other direction up the rise, past the schoolhouse, and out into the country that way. Sometimes I might take off a whole day to go fishing with Burley Coulter or one of the Rowanberries, always taking care to get back before 6.30. Of course, if I didn't leave until after 6.30 in the evening, I had all night to get back. And since nobody was apt to want a haircut at 6.30 in the morning, I could stay away until the next evening. My clock said I would be back at 6.30, but it didn't say what day. And sooner or later, until the last time, I always got back. Port William repaid watching. I was always on the lookout for what would be revealed. Sometimes nothing would be, but sometimes I beheld astonishing sights. One hot summer afternoon, for instance, I saw Grover Gibbs passing along in front of Mr. Settle's garage with a plumber's helper over his shoulder. He saw, sticking out from beneath an automobile, Portly Jones's sweat-shiny big bald head, to the top of which, with a smooth and forceful underhanded thrust, he affixed the suction cup. Portly then enacted a sort of seizure in which, with his feet and left hand, he tried to hurry out from under the car while with his right hand he tried unsuccessfully to detach the plumber's helper. It appeared that he was trying to drag himself out by the head. He didn't get out very fast. Meanwhile, his assailant walked on up the street a ways and then turned and walked casually back to see the results of his inspiration. He walked with his hands innocently folded behind the bib of his overalls, a disinterested look in his eyes his face rather tensely drawn around a small hole between his lips, through which he was whistling a tune. He allowed himself to be confronted by Portly, looking perhaps like a unicorn with a red face. "'Grover,' he said, "'who done this? If it was you, I'll kill you.' 
Grover said nothing, but solemnly, still whistling, tried to help Portly remove his horn, which they were able to do only by boring a hole in the cup to relieve the suction. It completely ruined my plunger, Grover told me later, but of course I couldn't have claimed it anyhow. And on an early morning when I was almost the only one awake, I saw Fielding Burlew in the middle of the road, dancing to the ballad of Rose McInnes, which he sang with deep feeling and tears in his eyes. He had spent the night in a lonely vigil in town, three-thirds drunk, as he would say, owing to his failure to see eye to eye with his wife. He danced with his arms held out like wings, in slow steps, round and round, as gracefully as it could be done by a drunk man in a pair of gumboots. All of a sudden, a trailer truck popped over the rise. It began to shudder and buck and weave. There was a